We have been on this topic of conversations now for a number of weeks, six to eight weeks or so, and uh, today we close out this, this uh, journey about the generous heart of God, and it has been inspiring to look at God, a God who continually gives, continually pours out towards us, and, and really undeserved uh, and unreserved in a sense that God just pours his affection, his attention, his plan, his design to us. And yet, as we sing in that second uh, part of the song, he moves us deeper still. And if you've been in the faith for any amount of time and you are leaning forward in your faith, you know that God never stops saying, hey, let's, let's go another step. And so we are not just recipients of the generous heart of God, but we actually get to be part of the plan of the generous heart of God. And that's what we look at today. Last Sunday after church, I said farewell to a, a friend of mine that I met probably over a decade ago. He's a seasoned professional actor. He travels the country in kind of a nomadic life, and uh, wherever he gets a job at whatever theater, that's where he parks for three, four, five, six weeks at a time, and is auditioning all over the country, and, and he's a theater actor. So when he gets a job here, he, he normally is at the Florida Studio Theater. He, uh, he rings me up, and out of the clear blue, he says, hey, Steve, it's Dave, and we, we get together and have a, a great time. And uh, he also gets me free tickets to the place. That's um, it's also a benefit. That's why I maintain the friendship. Uh, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> so this play that he was just in that was running at the floor studio was uh, a very dramatic, serious, heavy uh, theater piece called Exonerated. And it, it depicted about a half a dozen men and women who had been wrongfully accused uh, especially in the, in the time before DNA technology was advanced to where it is now. And they, each of them had spent years in prison, some for decades. And then it kind of traced through how they got there and then how they got out. And it was extremely edgy and very moving. When I saw my friend Dave last week after church, he said, man, I tell you, something happened on Friday night at the theater, and uh, as we were closing this play out, we invited one of the real people to come and speak to the audience after the play. And he said, man, it was, as you know, Steve, it was, it was dramatic enough and moving enough, but when you see real people and hear their stories, this particular person had been in prison for 22 years, wrongfully, can you imagine? And uh, they were freed, and now... As a freed person, they travel the country on behalf of those that should be freed, that should be exonerated. And I thought about us as Christians. It pictures in a very real sense of who we are. We are the rescued, but now we get to be part of voicing the rescue message. The vast difference between us and those who have been exonerated is that they were wrongfully accused. We were rightfully accused. We all like sheep have gone astray, the Bible tells us. All have fallen short of the glory of God, of the expectations of God, of the perfection of God. When we stand before the cross, there is no rock throwing, 
there is very level ground at the cross because all of us are guilty as charged. We have a Savior that came to take our penalty so that we would not have to pay for the penalty of our sin. We would not have to do anything to earn our way out. But Christ, the Savior, Christ, the Advocate, Christ, the Attorney, came to our rescue. The Bible tells us that yet while we were sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the guilty, for the ungodly. This is the essence of our faith. But it doesn't end there. Christ never asked us and expected us to be only recipients of the rescue, but participants in the rescue. This is why we begin today in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It is a, one of the most powerful clarifications of who we are as Christians and what God expects of us as recipients of the rescue plan. So if you have your Bibles, you want to turn with me there, uh, or your devices, your phones, iPads, uh, otherwise it'll be up on the screen. I'm going to pause from time to time uh, in this lengthy passage to, to add some clarification. We begin in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Bible make this, makes this claim, if anyone is in Christ, anyone, regardless of gender, regardless of age, regardless of economic status, if anyone is in Christ, regardless of how much you've sinned or how little you've sinned, because we've all sinned, levels of sin make no difference at the foot of the cross. It's all the same. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. This, and let me tell you what this is not. I am a Christian because I agree with the following bullet points. That is not a Christian. A Christian is not someone who says, I believe in the Bible. A Christian is not someone that just says, I adhere to the tenets of the Christian faith. A Christian is one where God has supernaturally ignited a new life inside of us. As we sang this morning, this dead heart is now beating. This is a, a natural world that we live in, but we also understand that there is a, a world outside the natural law. That's why it's called the supernatural world. And becoming a Christian, when the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, what is being referred to is not any religious hocus pocus. It's not any frou-frou. It's not any uh, poetry. It's a reality that if we have an encounter with God through Christ, through the power that raised Christ from the dead, he comes to us and ignites our new life in us where the old life is gone and the new life is, is present. I've shared with you my conversations after I came to Christ in my 20s with my father. He grew up in, in church. He took us to church every week. And I, when I would ask him, Dad, do you believe in Jesus? He would always say, yeah. And yet I knew that he had not made that, that, that decision and had not experienced that, that supernatural igniting of a new life. Christ called it the second birth, our first birth, physical birth, our second birth, a spiritual birth. I would say, and I got frustrated in the conversation because I'm like, I'm just, because when you say, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, I, be, I believe that he, you know, he came, I believe all that. It wasn't until I asked him this question, Dad, have you exchanged your old life for Christ's new one, that he didn't have an answer. 
That was the moment our conversations began to take on a new flavor. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, the gone, and the new has come. Now watch this. All this is from God, the generous heart of God. In other words, it is not something we do. It's something that Christ has done. It's something that God has done. Verse 18, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, part B, and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, you're going to see that word come up. We're going to break it down a little bit for you. It's not a word we use a lot, reconciliation. We reconcile our checkbooks, etc., but it's not, it's not something that we talk about. So we're going to break it down. God has not only reconciled us, but now we become the reconcilers. We have given, been given this ministry of reconciliation, verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And now he has committed this message of reconciliation. Verse 20, we are therefore, I will say many times, it's the very basic words of the Bible that really make a difference. The buts, the ifs, the ands, and the therefore. I've said it before. I heard a preacher say one time, when you see a therefore you, in the Bible, you ask why it's therefore. And, uh, and it's, a hinge, it's a hinge word. Like, okay, because of all that, because of the generous heart of God, because all this is from God, because of that, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Here's the key verse of the entire day. As though God were making his appeal through us. It's as if God now is speaking to the world through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Let's break down that word reconciled. When you look at the original meaning of the word reconcile, here I, I put it up here on the screen for you. Reconcile, the, the origin, the etymology of the word. Reconcile means to bring together again. To bring together again and to regain. If you break down the word, the Latin, when you have a word re, like in return, it means turn back. The word re means back. And conciliar means bring together. Now listen. It's a big difference. Let's say we got two people. I'm going to represent this by the stands. I don't know if you can see this on the podcast, uh, but it's one on the left, one on the right. And let's say these are two people. Now, let's, let's say you and I have never had coffee. And would, so we would say, hey, let's come together and have coffee. But let's say we have coffee and we have a big fight. Now we're going to come back together because something has happened. See, the word reconcile, when it means literally, we're going to bring together again. We're going to bring back together. It means something has broken up in the first place. It's not just bring together, but bring back together. We understand from the story of the human race is that at one time when God created man, Adam and Eve, they were like this. They were BFFs. They were best friends. They They had a perfected relationship. But we all know the story. Even if you don't know the Bible well, you know that Adam and Eve blew it. They stepped off the line, and now they were in need of being brought together again because they were together in the first place. This is the human race. 
God reconciled us because there has been a break and he is bringing us back together again. He is reconciling. And now what he's saying in this passage that I'm now giving to you this sense of being reconciled to, to together and, and uh, want to, uh, to bring something together that's been uh, uh, brought, uh, been broken up. So we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal to bring back together uh, 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 two things that have been broken apart. Now, when we look at the, uh, the, the message of, of Christ, we say, look, we understand the bigger picture that, that God came for man and reconciled, but I would propose to you that there are more than one thing that, that we're reconciling. So in other words, when you have two things that are separated from each other and we want them to come together, what happens in most cases, what is needed in most cases is someone to stand in the middle and bring them together. This morning, I'm going to refer that to that as a translator, a translator. We are translator. We have been given this ministry of reconciliation, but again, it's not a word that we use. So let me use a word that, we are, that we're familiar with, translating. Have you ever been in a scenario where you've got, we just had a few weeks ago, where we had a guy from Cuba. He's speaking one language. I'm speaking another language, and there's no way that we're going to be brought together here. We, we keep repeating the same eight words we know from each other's language. And it's, it's centered around how you doing. Uh, como esta? Bien. Uh, how are you? Good. Como esta? Bien. It's like stupid. I mean, we're not, you know, we're not even saying anything worthwhile. It's how are you? I mean, it's like for an hour and a half, we're just saying, how are you? I'm still good. You know, I don't know. I only know bien. I don't know how to say I'm still good because that would be helpful. I'm still good since the last time you asked me. You need a translator to stand in the gap, and then once you have a translator, you're like, oh, now we can come together. What God is saying, I'm asking you to be a translator for me. Think about it. Jesus was the great translator. He came to earth, and he said, I know that you're wondering what God is like, but when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So that when I come and you understand what disturbs me, what overjoys me, what exhilarates me, where I put my energy, where I don't put my energy, all those things, those things are important to God. So when you've seen me, you've seen the Father, you see the translation. There are times where Jesus said, hey, let me tell you what the kingdom of heaven is like. Remember we talked last week about this. And the thing that I love about Christ is he's always saying, hey, let me bring it down for you. I don't know about you, but at this point in my life, I get pretty burned out and just impatient with the theological towers of the world. I could care less, quite frankly. Some people think because I'm a pastor, I just enjoy talking about, you know, the finer elements of, you know, uh, John Calvin's fourth point on, you know, predestination. I, I don't care. First of all, I'm a moron. I probably don't get it. Second of all, like, does, is it really changing our lives that's what I dig about Christ. He said, let me tell you what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like this. Let's talk about plants and fish and, and uh, uh, weddings and the things that we like. Oh, I get it. Why? Because Christ said, let me take something that's really heavy and translate it for you. This 
is what God has called us to do. Not lofty theologians, but translators out of compassion for those that are like, I don't know what end is up. That's a big deal. And for me, it takes the scariness out of that big word called evangelism. See, evangelism, like, I must go and say, here are the three points of Christianity. I know you're probably not going to like it, but I'm going to say it anyway, right? That, then that, that feels that way. All right, I've got to get it in. Translation works in so many areas of our life. Let me just give you a few, and then we're going to dig down on what I would consider the primary, the primary areas of life where people are like, I kind of lost my way here. Here's one for you. Let's talk about love. You know, the world defines love in so many different ways. And, and it, you know, we, we have two middle schoolers. I tell you what, it's, you know, we're watching old Don Knotts movies in these days because it's the only clean thing we can find. We were watching a movie yesterday. It was a comedy. And uh, honest to goodness, we, we were like four minutes in, like, uh, whoa, maybe that's, a, maybe that's the only time. You know, that feeling like maybe that's the only time that's going to happen. Then, you know, after it's like, click, you got to click it off. See, they're defining like love. You know, hey, we met in a coffee shop and 25 minutes later, I'll stop at that. But you know where I'm going. Like, that's love. Love is emotion. Love is orchestral music playing in the background. Blah, you know, love, and, and this is the world saying love. And all the time with all this definition of love, the divorce rate is off the chart. So God comes and says, can I make an appeal through you to define true love? That this is love that Christ showed us what servanthood love looks like? This is what marriage looks like? Can I help translate that for you? Not because I'm better than you, because, hey, I'm a recipient and I'm just translating. Here's another one. Where'd we come from? Oh, my goodness. You know, the list keeps growing. A spore, uh, the Big Bang, a test tube. It's very confusing out there as to where we have come from. And so we come and we translate as if God's making his appeal through us. In the beginning, God created everything. Where science and faith do not have to collide, but they can come together beautifully through trans translation. Do you remember in the New Testament, we have these words in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's just that simple. But then there's a series of questions. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear with, without someone, can I say it? Translating, preaching to them. Let me tell you what that means. Here's why this is important. Check this out. Uh, I follow a couple of guys that, have, that I just trust uh, implicitly. Ravi Zacharias, uh, Tony Evans, men of faith that are just so strong. And there, there are stories that these guys tell that they, they have sent missionaries to remote parts of the world. 
And we're told in Psalm 119 that the heavens declare the glory of God. There's not a place on the earth. There's not a spot on earth where where the language of creation is not heard. In other words, everybody has an opportunity to walk out of their hut or their their house or their apartment, wherever they live, and look up in the sky and see a vastness and see the sun and its consistent faithfulness or see the seasons changing and things dying and things growing and have some sense that God has instinctively put in us to say, wow, there's a creator. There's a watchmaker that, 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 that the watch just didn't all come together in this intricate way and just started clicking and, by and ticking by itself, but there's a watchmaker. And so God has placed around every corner of the globe and every culture this this language that says, I'm here. I'm part of this thing. You're not alone. You didn't come from a test tube. There There is a creator. There's a watchmaker. And yet, may I say that it's not quite enough. So these these men of faith, guys like Ravi Zacharias, Tony Evans, and such, they tell stories about missionaries who show up in the the most remote parts of the world. And when they arrive, what has happened is that God has prepared them, these, these men and women, and sometimes by this revelation of like, wow, there's a creator by looking at creation. And then they begin to pursue God, listen, as best they can. Just because they look up and see the sun and the stars, I'm like, you know what? Now I understand that Jesus came, he died for us, and rose back from the dead. They're not, they, don't, they don't get that. But God gives to them this sense of light bulbness, revelation. At times, these missionaries come back with stories that these people in the most remote part of the world, they had, they've had dreams. And they've had dreams that there is someone who has saved the world, but they don't, they don't have it quite yet. They can't piece it all together. There have been times where the, the, the someone said, I had a dream. I've been having a dream that, there, that there's someone who was going to come and explain because God is, is tapping into to their inner being, but this is where it stops because they need a translator to say, let me tell you how that breaks down as if God is making his appeal through us. That, my friend, is stunning even after being as many years a Christian. You see, Steve's version would go like this, as if God's making his appeal through us morons, right? That, that's why it's so surprising. Or if that's too much for you, if the moron word's like, whoa, that's a bit heavy, then we'll, just say, we'll say it nicely. As if God were making appeal, his appeal through us, comma, of all people. Of all people. So when I, I in my interactions with people, and probably yours too, Here are some primary areas that I believe people need translation. Not because we're on a higher pitch, but because we're rescued. And we are on the same level as sinners, and it's about compassion. Why am I telling you this? I believe that as believers in Christ, we're too quiet that we're too quiet, that it's as if two people are speaking two different languages and we know both, but we remain quiet. And the two are not being brought back together again. And so we use words like evangelism, which just scares the socks off of us because we think we've got to be 
theologically astute. And I think Jesus would say, it's just not all that complicated. Let's take a look. Here, here's, here's some areas where I believe that we have the responsibility and the privilege of bringing clarity through translating as if God were appealing to us. Try this one on. What I'm going to call the unquenchable quest. The unquenchable quest. Now this one, probably of any of the ones that we're going to speak about today, is one that I relate to. What do I mean by the unquenchable quest? Look, human beings have a sense that if we get more and more and more and more, somehow we're going to reach that whatever that thing is that's going to scratch the itch of our ambition. You know what I'm talking about? You're in high school, you're living at home, you're like, man, I tell you, when I get out of home, when I get away from mom and dad, whew, boy, I'm going to fill in the blank. And I, f- I filled in a lot of blanks, to be honest with you. <laughs> man, when I get out, whoo, it's going to be awesome. Man, when I get in that school and get in that degree, ah, well, it's just going to, it's going to, ah, can't quite, you know, that itch, you can't quite, ah, oh, man, think, whoo, well, that's going to get it. That's going to quench my quest. Man, if I get that job, if I land that gal, if I land that guy, if I just get married, if we just have children, man, if I get that promotion, if I could just make so much money, if I got that car, then Bob next door would say, boy, Steve is really something. And I would feel like, man, and it seems like all along life, we're just at this unquenchable quest to find this thing that would give us that, ah, I've arrived. You know what I'm talking about? Many people come to Christ when they're at their down, you know, maybe they hit a down. Maybe they're going through a divorce. Maybe they're in an addiction. Maybe they've had financial difficulty. And it causes us naturally to think, oh, man, God, I really need you. And I know I've been kind of goofing around with that, but now I know. My life is not that way. I came to God at the height of my life, at the height of the game, studying in one of the top schools in the country in Boston as a musician. Everything going my way uh, worked like crazy. I'm ambitious. My father was ambitious. My grandfather was ambitious. No one will ever, no one will ever write on my tombstone. Boy, Steve was a sluggard. Just, it's just not part of my DNA. But I was after this quest of getting more and more. I never won second place in some very significant competitions. Always, always winning first. Always got to win first. Always got to, got to go to the best school. Got to, got to do all that. And, and man, every single time you reach a new height, I'd inwardly ask, is this it? Because I still got the itch. Still got that unsatisfied part of me. Listen, we live in a country that's ambitiously looking for this, this quenchable quest. Like if I could just get it. No matter if you're 15 or you're 85. Some people get that quest satisfied in God and some others live their entire life and never get the scratch. It's scratched. You remember Jesus was talking to a woman at the well. She came out for water. She was a a marginalized person. We know through the story. And she was asking, they struck up a conversation with Jesus and uh, she finally, he, she said, hey, like some water. And they start talking. He says, hey, I offer some supernatural water. That, that'd kind of blow your mind. And in the midst of the conversation, he says, hey, why don't you go get your husband? 
And all of a sudden, she's blown away as we would. Like, man, is this guy like a psychic or something? Because she told him what he already knew. Well, I've actually had a lot of husbands. Jesus was looking beyond the rules and regs, looking into her heart and saying, you know what? You just keep looking and looking and looking and looking. Maybe it's through relationships. Maybe it's through money. Maybe it's through a job. Maybe it's through stress. Whatever. You know, humans got a long list of those things. And he looked into her eyes. Listen, not with judgment, but with compassion. Why don't you go get your husband? I, I, I've had many. I know, he said. I know. And, she's, and so he starts talking about this living supernatural water that he could give. And like any of us, like, yeah, take a few ounces of that. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift in John chapter 4, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God, the generous heart of God, the gift, there it is again. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Christ goes on to say, when you drink of this water, you will never thirst again. You see, in all my ambitions, and it started early, on May 2nd, 1982, a Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock, my ambitious thirst was quenched by Christ. Of all the things that I thought, man, this is it. This is where I'm climbing. I'm going to do Carnegie Hall. I'm going to do all these things. All of that just faded when Christ came supernaturally in my life. The old was gone. The new had come. And I had been satisfied for the last 35 years. Christ satisfies your heart and your soul. I wonder today, listen. Listen to your own self. Listen to your own self. Are you satisfied? Are you still searching? Are you still out there thinking that somehow the natural world can you give you the supernatural quenching of that quest? I got a second question for you. If that's worked so well for you, how come you're here today? See, I asked myself that question. If it was so good for me, if all these things were so good for me, why did I start searching for God? I didn't need God in my mind. I didn't. I, this is going great. And that's the worst moment in life when things are going great. I don't need God. It's fantastic. Why would I need complication of, of God and religion and all that in my life? That's what I was thinking. And yet nothing satisfied that. And I'm wondering if that's you, then you would ask yourself, why am I here and my final question would be this. If you're, if you're looking for it, if you're looking to find that peace, like we talked about this morning as we sang, it's unthinkable, and you're looking for it in natural ways, jobs, promotions, money, blah, 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 would you mind if I ask you, how's that going for you? How's that going for you? You see, we're told in the Bible in Psalm 107, verse 9, that God satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul, he fills with good things because he's a good, good father. Hey, why wait? Why keep traveling? Why keep looking? Why keep searching? 
Why keep running into, into brick walls? Why not say, God, I'm, I've, I've proven it. I've proven that that's not going to that, that's not gonna happen. I was in Bogota, Colombia one time with a good friend of mine. And we got in the back of a cab and we were going the wrong way. We knew we were going the wrong way, but we couldn't say we were going the wrong way because we didn't know the language. And for some reason, that hit us as super funny. Uh, you know, you look back and think, hey, it was probably dangerously dumb and all that, but at the moment, it was so funny. And we were, you know how you laugh and there's no sound coming out? And so we're in the back of this cab and we're like, you know, and because we're like, I wonder how long we're going to go, you know, without <laughs> someone. Had we had a translator, hey, can you tell them we're going the wrong way? <laughs> See, the scary thing in life is that we keep going in the same direction and sometimes we think it's entertaining. Until we lay our head on the pillow at night on those certain days and we say, this can't be it, honest to goodness. That didn't give me what I thought it was going to give to me. That unquenchable quest is never quenched without Christ. Here's another thing. You know the second biggest, uh, uh, the first biggest fear of human, hum, the human race is what? Death. Yeah, some people, some people said public speaking. That's number two. <laughs> So if I ever die up here doing this, you'll know, hey, well. <laughs> it's such a confusing thing, is it not? Uh, do, you, do you remember uh, Jesus showed up at a funeral of a friend, um, Lazarus, and had two sisters, Mary and Martha. You remember the scenario? And when, they, when Jesus showed up, he was late for the funeral by, you know, a few days. <laughs> and, but there was tension there. Martha is clearly a type A when you read the story. And when Jesus walked on the scene, she didn't, she didn't bother him that he was a son of God. She, he's, she's just going to let him have it. And she says these words in John chapter 11, verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Implication, this is awful. Death without God brings an awful finality. How do you know that? Because I've preached too many sermons at too many funerals where the family is wondering what is beyond that final door. And they always ask me, Steve, where's Uncle Ed? And out of respect, I say only God knows. It's far different from those who have Christ, who have settled that question that has been translated, that death has been translated through the resurrection of Christ. And they look in my eyes and they don't ask where Uncle Ed is. They're rejoicing about where Uncle Ed is. You see, the world is, is at attention about what happens and religion has only made it worse religion says if you can do this then maybe behind this door right here that you can't see maybe just maybe you'll get it okay and in that sense who wants to live like that jesus replied to martha in john chapter 11 verse 25 he said to her i am the resurrection and the life he who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me 
will never die. Listen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most monumental occurrence in the history of the human race, period. It affirms the cross of Christ. It makes the cross of Christ reality, not just a religious leader that died for a cause. The, the, the coming back of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, accentuates that God is in control of death, that God is in control of creation, that God has the power over sin, over death, and the sting of death. This is a message that we get to translate. But the world has a loud voice from Oprah to the nightly news of what that is like. So I'm in another country, traveled a lot to Latin America in my life. I usually try to bring somebody with me. And I brought this guy with me one time. His name was Vince. Vince was country. He lived out in the country and brought Vince with me. So Vince was convinced that if you spoke loudly and you put an O on the end of every English word, then they would understand O-U-O. You know what I mean, O? But you have to say it kind of loud and in a country voice. I reached my threshold with Vince when I saw him standing eight inches from someone's face and in musical terms, fortissimo, yelling, understando! I'm like, hey, Vince, could I have a word with you over here? Hey, let me just give you a couple words of advice. Shut up! Oh, shut up, oh! The world screams, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right with or without God. That's where the responsibility comes in for us. That we say, oh, Christ is a resurrection and the life. We get the privilege of translating to a very confused world. Listen, I'm going to say it again. Not because we're better, but because we've been rescued. Here's a final thing. It's the greatest bridge ever built. It's the cross. It's the, it is the way of salvation. It's how we get from God, from here to God, it is the plan of salvation. You remember some of the disciples were in jail, and the jail uh, keeper uh, was gonna, about to get in trouble, didn't, didn't really need the details of it, but he asked, Acts 16, verse 30. He asked this question that the world is asking that we must translate. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? You see, religion is trying to answer that question. Secularism is trying to answer that question. How do I get from here to God? You must do better, religion says. This is the impetus for terrorism, as we've seen around the world. The impetus for terror, terrorism is, how do I get saved? How do I f get favor with God in so many cases? By acts of cruelty, by martyrdom, and that's how I get there. Or perhaps some may believe in karma, that it's going to take several cycles of uh, of, of going through life cycles and that's how I must be saved. If you haven't heard the world asking this question, 
How must I be saved? May I respectfully say, you may not be listening closely enough because they're not just quietly asking the question. They're desperately screaming the question. How must I, what must I do to be saved? And perhaps today you're here and in your heart, by this point in this conversation, you're saying, that's me. That's me. How is it that I can go from here to God? Tell it to me. What do I need to do? And the answer is marvelous. And it comes from a generous heart of God. Listen carefully. If you've missed everything I've said today, it's not what you need to do. It's what God has already done. It distinguishes the Christian faith from every religion of the world. It is not your effort. It is just simply reaching out by faith, not work, faith and saying, God, I embrace what you have done and I trust completely on the work of Christ on the cross. I didn't have to die. I didn't have to do it. Christ did it, past tense for me. I now receive that. The answer to this question, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Aren't you glad there wasn't three pages of theology? Aren't you glad there wasn't two paragraphs of religious effort, of rules and regulations, none of which we could keep? The answer was trust in Christ. Thomas, one of the disciples of Jesus, asked the same question, John 14, 5. Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, the life, not religion, but Christ. No one comes to the Father except through me. I heard this great analogy this this week, because sometimes when you say, hey, Jesus is the only way, hey, that doesn't align with my bumper sticker, and I think you're narrow-minded. You ever had that one? But I heard this great analogy. Uh, let's try it out. If you really like it, then I'll claim it. If uh, not, then uh, somebody else's. If you want to call me this week on my cell phone, how many numbers do I have? Excellent. It's very. You were thinking it's going to be deeper than that, like sixteen point eight <laughs> times three thousand fourteen. I got one phone number. Is that narrow-minded? No, there is one number that will work in access to get to where I am. There is one path to, Christ, to God, and it's Christ. It's not a narrow-minded thing. It is a gifted thing that God says, I'm not going to make it confusing for you. There is one Lamb of God who has died, not two. There was one sinless, perfected Lamb that died for your sins, not two. There's one Savior of the world, not two. As the, as the scripture says, as Jesus said, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father by me. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. And Paul says, and for this purpose, I was appointed a herald. We don't use that word. That means an amplifier, a a translator of this. 
You see, God says, you are rescued, and no one ever was rescued just to stay as a rescued person, but you are now appointed. Not encouraged, not nudged, not you know, hopefully asked, but you've been appointed, each of us, to say and, and translate for God. Here in two days, I think it's May 9th, there is a, an anniversary, I think it's 37 years, of a tragedy in this area. That tragedy was the, that 20,000 ton freighter that ran into the Skyway Bridge. Some of you that are Floridians, you'll remember that. And uh, there, were, there was a Greyhound bus, 27 people that perished. I believe five cars and a pickup truck all, all went over the edge. 7.30 in the morning, and it was a blinding rainstorm. And one after one, they, they plunged into the bay because there was no one standing in the gap saying, stop. There's a tragedy. Stop. I brought a picture in. It's kind of a well-known picture now. Um, there's the freighter. And you see the missing part of the bridge. And then we go to the next picture. It's phenomenal. This morning I want to focus on the dri- that lucky driver. That guy right there. Just think about that for a second. That's better than winning the lotto. Sitting in that car. And I want you to imagine for a second, this is pretty heavy, but I want you to imagine for a second, now that he's realized, he's the first guy to realize something is horribly wrong. But what would you think of him or her if he were sitting in that car, in that position on the bridge, watching other cars drive over as he remained silent. My guess is that there are none of us that would admire that behavior. The heaviness of this appointment that we have is that that's us. We came to the edge of the most serious bridge in life, a spiritual bridge, to the brink of an eternal destiny away from God. And yet because of the generous heart of God, he said, let me, let me send someone to translate for you. There's nobody sitting in this room that's a Christian that sat on the side of a hill and saw the sun come up and said, now I believe in Jesus. God sent to you a translator. And now we sit in that car. At the end of this time together, I'm, gonna, I'm going to throw out a challenge for you. To say to God something very simple, if you are a believer in Jesus. And the challenge is this, God, I, fill in your name, Steve McCoy, will not remain silent. 
I will not remain silent. You have appointed me as a translator, as if you, God, were making your appeal through me. And I will not remain silent. I wonder if that would be a prayer that you would offer to God. Secondly, perhaps you're here today and you know this unquenchable quest that that I've spoken of. Why not today have God satisfy that for you? No religious hocus pocus, none of that. You, You understand you're an adult, the the finality of death as it feels as a human being. Why not let God answer the question, what happens beyond? When he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. You may be asking yourself today, How, what must I do to be saved? Christ says, trust me, believe in me. Maybe today, these messages from the scripture have been translated to you in a way That's undeniable. We'd like to give you an opportunity to respond to God. With that in mind, it would only be appropriate that we pray. Would you join me? Father, to say that we're grateful, God, for your rescue seems so insufficient. So thankfully, God, we will have an eternity to express our thanks to you. But Father, we are grateful that you are a good, good Father and that your heart is generous. And through that generosity, God, you've saved us, you've rescued us.
asked God the, the power, the, just that, that push and that clarity, God, to translate. And finally, God, for those of us that know others that are heading to the edge of a bridge without you, God, they're moving through life. Certainly they have no peace, but God, their destiny is an eternity away from you. Would you bear down on us, God, and our responsibility, the weight, God, of compassion? May compassion, God, would you just overflow us with compassion? Because everything about our, our that person of persons, God, saying, what must I do to be saved? And here we are, God, with the answer. Make us translators. Father, on a Sunday like this, a conversation like this, God, we don't want to go down into our cars without the opportunity given to those who may be inwardly inside saying, that's me, I'm without Christ. I've never away. Say, Jesus, thanks for what you've done on the cross. Thank you that I don't have to earn my way. Thank you that you did it for me. Thank you, God, that you've forgiven me for my sins. Now I'm going to trust that. By faith, I'm going to trust that. I wonder if there's anybody in the room today that would say, man, that's me. That is me. I... I want Christ in my life for the first time. I've never by faith believed and trusted Jesus to be sure of my salvation. Here's how we do it in this prayer. Everybody's praying, but I'd love to pray for you. Never would embarrass you. If you're here today and you say, I want Jesus for the first time in my life, would you maybe... Would you raise your hand and then you can quietly put it down. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to ask you to come up here or anything like that. Anybody in this room today that you would say, today, I want Jesus for the first time. Here's my hand. Here's my hand. I know it's a kind of a scary thing because you don't, you don't know what, what happens after that. Well, nothing. We're not going to do a thing. But would you, if that's you, say, would you raise your hand and I'll acknowledge you and say thank you for that I'm praying for you anybody here that would say I want Christ in my life today Father we end this day like we began with thanksgiving thank you God for your generous heart thank you for loving us more than we can wrap our heads around Thank you for the end of our ambitious quests, that you satisfy the longing soul. Thank you, God, that you have taken death and crushed it. Thank you, God, for those of us that believe that we don't guess, but we know what is on the other side of death. We thank you, God, that you have revealed to us so kindly that Christ is the only way and that he is the resurrection and the life. And thank you for the bridge that you've built from here to there through the cross of Christ. God, we could thank you all afternoon 
And in our hearts, God, each of us, we're saying, God, thank you, thank you, thank you for being such a generous being. And now, God, our part, we will not remain silent for Jesus.